you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open to the book of Ruth. We're going to spend our uh, night together here in the book of Ruth for the next uh, 30 to 45 minutes or so. And this is what I want you to, to know tonight is this. If you are in the middle of a difficult season in life, God might just be setting the stage for one of his greatest triumphs. You see, this evening we're going to dive into one of the most moving stories in all of Scripture. The story has elements of love, tragedy, death, loss, heartache, despair, triumph, hope, loyalty, and even romance. And it's not just a love story. If people talk about the book of Ruth and say that the book of Ruth is a love story, it's more than a love story. It's a story with, within a story. It's a story that points us to a much greater story. David Platt said this, It is a story within a grand, a tale of how God is redeeming a people for himself, bringing them from despair to delight, from hurt to hope. And you and I find ourselves in the middle of that story. And so tonight, we are going to march through this book of the Bible, just looking at some great lessons that we learn about God in the book of Ruth, the title of this lesson or sermon, whatever you want to call this. And, and I always struggle with, what do you do on Wednesday nights? Do you get up and do you preach, or do you get up and teach? And I don't really know there's a big difference for a pastor. Um, but the title of our sermon, lesson, is this, The Epic Tale of Redemption. It's The Epic Tale of Redemption. And the main lesson that we see coming from this book, this book of Ruth, is that God brings hope out of hopelessness. And my prayer tonight is that you would not only see this love story, but you would be pointed to the greatest love story of all time, of how a kinsman redeemer, of how Jesus left heaven, took on flesh, became like us, just as Boaz was like, uh, was like Ruth, and redeemed us back. This book was written during the time of Judges, a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And this led to God's judgment on his people, and it ultimately led to famine that pushed this family out of Bethlehem into the land of Moab. And we're going to move through this book quickly. It's going to be difficult tonight to get all four chapters, but we're going to do that. That's going to be our goal. We're going to move through it quickly. We're going to feel the tension along the way, and there's a lot of tension in this book. And my goal as we march through this story is to stop and point out some of the incredible language and some of the incredible pictures and truth that we learn along the way. This book is one of only two books in the Bible named after a woman, the other being Esther. And Ruth is the only book in the Old Testament that is named after a non-Jew. And that is an important theme as we kind of march through and navigate through this entire book. And so I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 5. And if you are physically able, I'm going to ask that you would stand in honor of and in reverence to the reading of God's inerrant life-giving word. It says, In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. 
And the names of his two sons were Milan and Kilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Milan and Kilion died, so that the woman was, without, was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and Father, I am grateful for your word. My prayer tonight is that you would use it in our lives to show us incredible truths about the gospel. And Father, that you would challenge us through it uh, to, to, to adore Jesus and to treasure him above all things. So God, I pray that you would move in our midst. I pray that you would use your word to encourage us and challenge us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to give you four things about God from this book. And I would encourage you, if you've got a pen and paper, to take notes as we go throughout this story. The first thing, the first thing we learn about God uh, in this book is that God uses tragedy to set the stage for triumph. In verse, in verse 1, we read about a famine in the land of the people of God, particularly in the land of Bethlehem, which is somewhat ironic because the, the, the word Bethlehem literally means the house of bread, and in the house of bread there was no bread. And so Elimelech went from Bethlehem to Moab. And a little background on Moab. Moab, the, the people of Moab started in Genesis chapter 19 when Lot had an incestuous relationship with his daughter. That's the beginning of the Moabites. They don't have a, a prestige history. They don't have a good history to go back to. It happened because a, a, daughter, uh, a daughter slept with her father, and that's how the Moabites began. And there was division, constant division and friction between the Moabites and the Israelites. And there was even a point when Moabite women seduced the Israelite men into sexual morality and all kinds of idolatry. And as a result of that, God judged the Israelites and killed some 24,000 people. They did not have a good relationship with one another. If you were an Israelite, you didn't like the Moabites. And if you were a Moabite, you did not like the Israelites. It, the Mo, Moab was a place where, that was known for sexual immorality. It was known for idolatry and the worship of false gods. And this is where Elimelech chooses to take his family. And it's shameful. It's a shameful place. And then in verse 2, we read this. The name of the man was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Milan and Kilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. And they went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. Uh, Elimelech's name here means... God is king, or my God is king. And in a day where there was no king in the land, the first picture of a character we have in this story is a picture that God is king, but we see some incredible details. In verses 3 through 5, we see this, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. Listen, I, when, I, when I read something, I try to visualize what's taking place. I don't know if you've ever done that. I, when I read through a book, if I'm reading through Scripture, I try to visualize it. So imagine this. Elimelech takes his wife and his two sons and goes to a far country. But then Elimelech died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. Look at, then look at verse 4. These took Moabite wives. So you go there with your children and your husband. Your husband passes, which is bad. But then as if that weren't bad enough, your two sons take Moabite wives 
which was not good for the Israelites. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and life was going on, and both Milan and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So after being in Moab for 10 years, Naomi loses her husband, but then she also loses her two sons, and she is left nothing, with nothing but her daughters-in-law. She has literally lost everything. She has lost her security. She has lost her family. She has lost her providers. And underneath all of that, Naomi has lost her hope. Naomi is as deep in the valley as a person can possibly be. This is the depth of despair. She has lost everything. She is Job without God interacting with him. And she's there by herself, or I say by herself, she's got her two Moabite daughter-in-laws, and that's it. And so the first five verses of this story are heavy, and they begin to set the scene for God to come onto the scene to do an incredible work. You see, it's the depth of despair and hopelessness in these five verses that sets the stage for a glimmer of hope beginning in verse 6. When it says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. Why is she returning? Look at the rest of the text. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this hopelessness, we begin to see God coming on to the scene. One commentary writer said this, in those moments when it may seem that God is farthest from us, he may just be laying the foundations for the greatest displays of his faithfulness to us. And so as Naomi is there and she has her children with her, or her, her children, they pass, she's left with nothing but her daughters-in-law, and then God comes onto the scene. He is leading her with absolutely nothing so that she will begin to see that he is everything. And he is setting the stage for something great. And so Naomi starts the journey back to Jerusalem with her two daughters-in-law. And that's what we begin to see play out in verse 8. Along the way, it says, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant, uh, grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband, and then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And so we're given a scene that Naomi gets her two daughters-in-law, and she hugs them, and she implores them and says, Listen, there is nothing left for you in Bethlehem. You go back to your father's house. You go back to your household gods. You go back to those things. And she grabs their necks, and they weep together. You can just imagine the emotions that they are experiencing together. And then in verses 10 through 13, Naomi uh, continues to encourage them to return to their families. And Orpah does, but Ruth does not. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, I'm sorry, back up to the, the, the middle of verse 13. She says, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly, exceedingly bitter for me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi believes that God is against her. 
Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth, Ruth clung to her. That word clung is the same word used in Genesis chapter 2 to describe a marriage between a husband and a woman, a husband and his wife, that they'll leave their father and mother and they'll hold fast, they'll cling to their spouse. It is a, it is a picture of, of grabbing and, and, and grasping and holding someone else. Naomi, again in verse 15, tries to convince Ruth to leave, and in response, Ruth gives us one of the most memorable speeches in all of Scripture. In verse 16, she says, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That's a, a verse we read and we hear often at weddings. But context tells us it's not the relationship between a husband and wife here. It's a relationship between a committed daughter-in-law who's telling her mother, where you go, I'm going to go. Where you die, I'm going to die. And your gods, they're going to be, or sorry, your God, he is going to be my God. And so instead of going back to empty idols, Ruth has, is at a crossroads in her life. And Ruth has a decision to make, and Ruth chooses to go with God instead of going back to her empty idols. And so they begin to head back into Bethlehem. Look at verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred. I mean, we listen, if you live, if you come from a small town, a small place, you know it news travels quickly, Okay? News travels quickly. If somebody uh, separates from a spouse or, or if, 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 if it's bad news with, a, uh, with, with news from a doctor, it doesn't take long and news travels. And the whole town here is stirred because Naomi is walking back into town. And not only is Naomi walking back into town, Naomi has her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, with her. And so we have this picture of them coming back, coming back into town. They say, is this Naomi? Then to verse 19, and she said to them, do not call me Naomi. So by the way, the name Naomi means pleasantly or, or lovely. She says, she says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me lovely. And then look what she tells them to call her. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Can you imagine this scene as she's walking back into town with her daughter-in-law? And by the way, somewhere tucked behind all of this, as she's walking back into town, and all of her neighbors, all of her family, extended family, they're all looking at her. The whole town is stirred, and they're watching her walk back in. And they, say, and they start saying, is this Naomi? And she says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me lovely. Call me bitter. She said, I, I left here and I had absolutely everything, and I've come back with nothing. And everybody in the town looks at the person standing behind her. They look at Ruth, and somewhere tucked behind all of that, Naomi's saying, I left here with my husband and my two sons, and now I've come back with nothing but a Moabite. It's a picture. Naomi, I'm sorry, Ruth is a picture of the unwanted 
Verse 21, I went on a full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. One commentary, one commentary writer describes the scene like this. Now picture yourself standing there in Ruth's shoes as Naomi looks at the small group of people and says, I left full, but I've come back empty with nothing. And they sit there listening to Naomi. They hear her say she has absolutely nothing. And they turn and look at you and all you can do is look down because you are less than nothing. You see, Ruth was a picture of the misfortune of the Almighty. Ruth was a picture of Naomi's struggle. Ruth was a picture and a reminder of Naomi's hurt and hopelessness. She was a symbol of the Lord's affliction. And we're given two pictures here because in verse 20 and 21, uh, Naomi talks about God four different times. She uses this term almighty to describe him two of these four times. And what's interesting is that Naomi recognizes something in the middle of all of her hurt. And in the middle of all of her pain, Naomi recognizes that everything that has happened to her, her husband dying, her two children dying, every, church, don't miss this, everything that happened to Naomi happened because a sovereign God in heaven allowed it to happen. That didn't escape her. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. He had the power to stop it, but he didn't. She uses this term, El Shaddai. The, the language in this book is, is profound. It's a title that emphasizes God's omnipotence, his power, and his supreme sovereignty over all things. And this is what Naomi confesses. She says, I left here and with everything, came back with nothing because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Church, sometimes we go through difficult seasons. And it is important to remember that God is not surprised or shocked by anything that happens to us in this life. He is in full control of our situation, even when we don't like it. You see, sometimes we struggle to see the greatness and goodness of God in the midst of our suffering. And God is giving us a picture of his greatness in Naomi's life, even in the midst of great loss. My wife and I, are re we're resource parents for DHS or CPS, Department of Human Services, Child Protective Services. I don't know what they even call it now. And so we have, we're foster parents. And we've adopted a little boy out of foster care, and we've got a little girl now that's been in our home since she came back from the hospital. She'll turn two in a couple of weeks. And so we're hoping to, that she will be adopted by the end of the year. But before adoption can take place for children in foster care, something has to happen. Termination of parental rights has to take place in order for someone fostering a child to be allowed to adopt that child. And it's one of the most unique things to be a part of because in one sense, as a foster parent, there's this incredible sense of relief because the child that's been in your home that you love, that you've longed for to be your child, to be adopted, to have your last name, to take on all the, uh, all the responsibility of that child, to, to, to have that child as if you birthed it, essentially. That sense of relief that you have is, is difficult to describe because now that child can be adopted. But on the other side of termination of parental rights, there's a profound sense of loss because all of the rights of the biological family are gone in a moment. In a moment. But for foster families, you see, TPR is a necessary step on the road to adoption. TPR 
something that, that is tragic and something that is so unfortunate in our society that takes place opens the door for something incredible. And that's the adoption of a child. And so we begin to see God setting the stage, bringing Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem, which leads us to the second thing I want you to see about God in this book. And that's that God makes the foreigner family. All right, verse 1, chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Name was Boaz. So Naomi and Ruth had two great needs. This is important because the rest of the book is going to be fleshed out with these two great needs. They needed food and they needed family. Boaz is from the clan of Elimelech. Now the way the Israelite society works is that you, have, you're, you're, you are an individual, you're a part of a family, your family is a part of a clan, and clans make up tribes. And so you have an individual, family, clan, tribe, and this clan level was the most important social family group that there was in the Israelite society. And Boaz is not only a worthy man, but Boaz was a part of this clan. He was a part of this clan. And Boaz, if you read verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean from the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, I love that word happened, to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. You see, God set up the harvest season as a means for providing for the poor. Those who had no land and those who had no food. And in the law, in the Old Testament law, God set this up. He set this up for people that did not have land, did not have a way to have food. And he set it up where the landowners would leave the corners of the field behind after the harvest so that the poor could come in and they could be provided for. And so Ruth was going to go out to see if she could find a landowner who was going to be obedient to God's command. And Elimelech was a, was a, was a man of character. He was a worthy man, the text tells us. And so she, she I love the, the, phrase, the word there, she happened to end up in this field. Listen, this is good. Because I want you to know this, nothing happens by accident or outside the plan of God. And so she ends up in Boaz's field, who happens to be a kinsman, and is not only able to redeem her, but is going to be willing to redeem her as well. One commentary writer said this, we are not given, I'm sorry, we are not driven or caught up in some blind and personal force of chance or coincidence. There is a sovereign God who is always orchestrating the events of his people for their good and his glory. Listen, sometimes if I'm sitting at home with my wife and she'll have on a show and I'm just kind of hanging out with her and a show's on in the background and you're watching you're watching this show or movie, whatever it is, and you're seeing, the, you're seeing the plot play out, right? And something happens, and you're like, that would never happen in real life, right? And you can see it. You know it's going to happen. You know what's coming next. And then it happens. Like, this will only be a movie because this doesn't happen in real life. We're going to finish this story, and we're going to read details. I think that shouldn't happen in real life. But God is orchestrating all of this. Now, look at verse 5. I love verse 5. Then Boaz said, because she's gleaning in the field, and then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, 
whose young woman is this? And I love that language because Boaz takes one look at the field, he notices her, and he says, and listen, this isn't just who is this. The question is, who does she belong to? Of all the people in the field, Boaz notices Ruth. Whose young woman is she? Who does she belong to? What clan is she of? Setting off some of this tension here in this book because she is a Moabite, daughter-in-law with no husband, no clan to live with. She's in need of family and she's in need of food. And this is how the foreman responds. Look at verse 6 and 7. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back, from, uh, came back with Naomi from the country of Moab and said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves. That's the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Naomi was a hard worker. We see that in the text as well. And then Boaz, look at this. Uh, and then Boaz uh, has this moment of, I'm going to go talk to her. I like this. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go uh, to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. And then she goes on verse 9, Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged uh, the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink uh, what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Then Boaz answered her, All that, I have, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your mother and father and your native land and have come to, to a people that you did not know before. And then verse 14. So she's able to glean. And at mealtime, Boaz invites her to dinner. This is a first date. Okay, look at the text. He says, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in, wine, in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed her some roasted grain. Boy, if I could get away with a date night dinner and just give my wife some roasted grain, I'd be doing well. But that's what he does. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. So Boaz invites her to dinner. He gives her this roasted grain, which apparently was nice. And then in verse 17, he gives her an ephah of barley to take home. And if you want to know what this is, this is some, an ephah, it was somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of barley. Now a little perspective here, uh, the average ration for a worker in a day was somewhere around one to two pounds. So not only did Boaz go above and beyond in giving Ruth what she needed so desperately, which was food, he gave her 30 to 50 pounds of it. Which, by the way, Ruth throws it over her shoulder and walks it back to her house. I couldn't carry a 50-pound bag of anything right now and walk with it very long. So Ruth is a hoss. She's, she's walking back. Verse 19, verse 19 through 23 and so she gets back, and her mother-in-law asks her question, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then she told her mother-in-law with, uh, uh, with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And by the way, you can just see Naomi, right? You can just see her mind start churning. A Boaz. You know, verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may, may, uh, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. 
one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite, said besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until you have finished all my harvest. Until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, uh, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest you be in another field and be assaulted. Right? She's like, hey, you don't need to go into another field. You need to keep going back to his field. She's again encouraging her to go. And I find it interesting because the last time we see Naomi, she was bitter. And God is taking her from bitterness to blessedness. In the middle of her sorrow and her suffering, God was plotting for her satisfaction. God was plotting for her satisfaction. Boaz does several things here. He seeks out the outcast as his family. Just a few random things, and I've got to, I've got to begin to march through this quickly. He seeks out the outcast as his family. Uh, he, 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 he pursued Ruth. He sought after her. The thing that's been on the news the last several days is this, this teenage soccer team. They got lost in this cave, and you see rescuers going to great lengths to save these children in this cave. Boaz goes out of his way. He seeks after her. He seeks the outcast as her family. He shelters the weak under his wings. He gives her what she needs. He provides her with dinner. He serves the hungry at his table. He showers the needy with his grace. Listen, we could go through a whole sermon in chapter 2 alone looking at these qualities of Boaz. Which leads us to our third thing I want you to see about God in this book. And that is that God works through committed love, not circumstances of leisure. Go back to the text, and let's look at chapter 3, because this is where Naomi begins to plot. So then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight in the, at the threshing floor. Wash yourself. And anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Listen, this is a turning point because we see the meeting, but now we begin to see that meeting take a sharper turn from just being acquainted, plots out this whole thing. She plots out this whole thing. He's going to be at the threshing floor. You need to go there. Don't make yourself known to him. Uh, and if you look at the language, the language is chock full of, of, of some provocative things. Take a shower. You know, you need to smell nice for him. Go there. Wait. Uh, there, there's, there's, some, there's some vivid imagery that, that is given to us. Because Ruth could not just approach Boaz and say, hey, have you thought about marrying me? That's not what happened at this point. But it is a unique opportunity that is set before them. And Naomi says, this needs to happen. You're going to go and you're going to be able to do this. And, and even the Hebrew language, when it says uncover his feet, uh, lie down, uh, lie down at his feet, um, there's all kinds of, of uh, even sexual overtones in the text. Uh, and, and, and listen, nothing we're given no indication that anything bad happens. But, but the language here is vivid for us. And so what does she do? She goes and does these things. Look at the end of verse 7. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight the man was startled. By the way, could you imagine being Boaz? You're at the threshing floor. You eat. 
You lay down, and you wake up, and there's a woman at your feet. That would freak me out. And so at midnight, the man was startled. I, again, I bet he was. And he turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. It's dark. He said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Listen to this next phrase, because this next phrase, Ruth is essentially proposing to him. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant. Listen, I want you to see this. Him spreading his wings over her. It, we see several things uh, in this text here. The first one is that, is that love protects. She's saying, will you protect me? Will you take me as your own, and will you protect me? And when she asks this question, the, 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 the question now is, how is Boaz going to respond? And he responds in verse 10. He says, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made uh, this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have done, I'm sorry, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And so Boaz recognizes something here. He recognizes that Naomi hasn't pursued after other men. And so he's looking at her character. He's looking at her character. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you. Listen, he's answering the question here. I will do for you all that you ask. And all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. And this is where the story kind of takes a bad twist. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There's a redeemer nearer than I. And then he begins to take action. Because he's a plan he's going to put in place. Beginning in verse 13. Remain tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let, it, uh, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And what I love about this is Boaz takes immediate action. Okay? Boaz is not some guy living in his parents' attic at, at 28 years old. Okay? Living in his parents' basement upstairs. He's, a, he's not just... Boaz is a biblical man. And he says, I'm not going to put something off tomorrow what can be done today. And he says... I'm going to go first thing in the morning, and we're going to work this thing out. And so that's what he does. That's what he does. He pursues, and he goes. Verse 14, she laid his feet into the morning, and, but arose uh, before anyone could recognize her. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring out the garment she was wearing. By the way, he gave her barley loaves again to send home. And you can imagine Naomi sitting at home, pacing back and forth, back and forth. What's Ruth going to come back and tell me? How did the proposal go? What happened at the threshing floor? And so she goes back and gives uh, Naomi the report in verses 16 through the end of the chapter. She tells them all that took place. But there's a redeemer closer and nearer than I. Which leads us to the fourth thing that I want you to see about God in this text. And that is that God became like us in order to pay the redemption price for us. Now, Boaz, look at chapter 4, verse 1. Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat there because he's seeking out this Redeemer that's closer than him. It's nearer than him. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. 
So they sat down. He needed witnesses for this exchange to take place. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Bide in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of the people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I will come after you. And he said to him, I'll redeem it. I'll take this land. I'll take on the responsibility of Naomi. I'll take care of it. And you can imagine this relative, because this relative is going to be able to take this land, Naomi's past childbearing years. He's going to be able to take this land, and he's going to pass it down to his children. And I find it interesting that Boaz, he kind of just doesn't mention Ruth in the first part of the statement. He gets him excited about this. And then verse 5, Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. He says, not only are you going to get Naomi in the land, you're going to get Ruth, the Moabite woman, and you're going to have to give her a child. Your children are not going to be able to take the land. Your child with, Na- I'm sorry, your child with Ruth is going to take the land. And so there's really nothing in it for this man at this point. Because he's going to have to take on two ladies, and he's going to have to give one a child. Then the Redeemer said, look at verse 6. This is the part of the movie where everybody gets excited. The Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Listen, Boaz set this thing up. He knew exactly what he was doing. In verses 7 through 12, a lot of strange cultural things take place. To seal this deal up publicly, you can read through that later uh, when you have time. And then in verse 13, they get married. And Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So she gets pregnant. Listen, when we read about Obed here, We'll also read in Matthew that he is in the lineage of Jesus. That he is, uh, that he is the, the, the grandfather to King David. And so Ruth is giving Boaz this child. And I find it interesting. Not only was Boaz a kinsman redeemer. Not only was he like you know, Naomi and Ruth. Not only was he in their clan. So he was close to them. He was willing to pay the redemption price. He was willing to do what it took to redeem her and buy her back. And church, the pictures of the gospel are rich all throughout this book. We do not have time to march through all of it, but we do need to take notice of the fact that Jesus had to become like us. That God stepped out of heaven. He entered into a womb. He was born of a virgin. He became like us. And he didn't just stop there. He went to the full extent needed to absorb all the wrath and to satisfy all the wrath of God, and he was willing to pay our redemption price. He willingly laid down his life to pay the redemption price for us. Listen, this story is more than just a story of Ruth and Boaz. This story is a story of Jesus and the church as well. And it points us to the fact that God is redeeming a people for himself. He is redeeming a people from himself that, that, that aren't even in the tribe 
and, and, and the people of Israel. He's going outside of that and pursuing people from every tribe, tongue, and language. You see, Boaz had the right, he had the resources, and he had the resolve to redeem Ruth, and Jesus has the same. See, God brings his people from death to life. He brings us from bitterness to happiness, from emptiness to fullness, from despair to hope. And if you go back and look at verse 16, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood, again, these, I don't want to say gossipy women, that may not be true, but the women of the neighborhood that were talking about Naomi as she marched back through the streets of Bethlehem gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so Naomi, who literally had nothing, all of a sudden is filled with everything. A new son, a grandchild. It's an incredible picture of how God takes the circumstances that we don't like, but that he has set up in our life. And how he works all things together for our good and our enjoyment. I've got a few points of application and we'll close out. The first one is this. I want to encourage you to trust that God is present and working in the midst of tragedy. Trust that God is present and that he is at work in the midst of tragedy. You can be going through some of the most difficult circumstances in life, and I believe that God is allowing that to happen, and He is working in the midst of it. And that is difficult. It's, let me say this: that is easy to say, and it is difficult to receive and to live out in the middle of those times. But I believe it to be true. Number two: take every opportunity to minister to those who are poor. We see it in the text. We see it as Boaz allows Ruth to come into his field, how it was set up in the Old Testament structure where God allowed those that were less fortunate that if they would get up and go to work, he allowed them an opportunity to provide for themselves, and God has given us the opportunity to minister to those that are around us. Listen, we live, if you live, Hernando, Lewisburg, uh, Nesbitt area, you live in an affluent area. God has blessed us richly, and we have an opportunity to minister to those who are less fortunate. And number three here, it's the last one. Know that only God can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Only God can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Listen, Naomi needed something. She needed something, and God provided that for her. She needed to be filled. She needed to be satisfied. And God met her where she was in the middle of her despair and in the middle of her tragedy, and he satisfied her. Listen, you can search your entire life looking for soul satisfaction, true contentment, and you will never find it outside of the person of Jesus. Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, all give us testimony to that. And so seek satisfaction in Jesus. Find your enjoyment in God. Don't find your enjoyment in things or people. Find your enjoyment in Jesus himself.